My name is uh, Pastor Nate. If you're new here, I just want to encourage you to fill out one of those green cards in the pew in front of you, just to let us know that you're here. But as we continue to worship God through opening up your, His Word, how about we just uh, open your Bibles first, and we'll be in Acts chapter 2. As we continue on in our sermon series, just wait. Okay. Bear with me as I, uh, I'm sick, so someone said to me, why are you here? And I said, because you told me I couldn't take sick days off, and and that person would rename nameless right now, so I'm not even looking in their direction, so I'm joking. It's okay. (laughs) All right. If you have your Bibles, please open them to Acts chapter 2. We're continuing our sermon series looking at three words, pulpit, table, square. These are three words that will guide us as a church as we seek to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. So last week, we took a look at how we gather together as the church. We gather together. And the importance of our time together on Sundays as we preach through God's word and as we sing songs and how it's important that they all rooted, be rooted in the word of God uh, and what he has said and told us in his word. And today we're taking a look at table. And as we do that, let me read from Acts chapter 2. And I'll be in verses 42 to 37, but let's start at verse 36 so we have a little bit of context as to what's happening here. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship of of the breaking of the bread and, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And when wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day after day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we just want to continue to praise you and to magnify your name. And God, there's no possible way that I can make this turn out well on my own. So Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you'll use this sermon to glorify your name. That you would use this sermon for the joy of your people, for salvation of the lost. And amen. As I was reflecting upon this table, you got to think of something. I was dwelling upon how much I really enjoy potlucks. And they're, they're great. Um, and if you want a biblical reference for the supporting of potlucks, it's there. Right there. Okay? So I'm not joking. It's there. God said it. But something I've really enjoyed, there are good times, so many different types of options you could choose from. There's, there's something for everyone. And if, as a father, that's great because I have one kid who literally only eats white stuff. So it's It's great. Potlucks are something that many churches do a great job at. They're cheap. They're a great way of getting people together and involved. But is this what it is to have Christian community? Is this all that it is? Is a Christian community judged upon how great a potluck can be? Because there's a lot of churches that do a great job at it then, including us. Is this what a community means when it comes to the church? If, if community in a church is more, is it more than what we see and, and what we experience here with our potlucks? You know, something else that I've noticed over the last little while, you know, as you know, I recently moved here. I don't know if we can still use the word recent, but um, it was kind of recent. And when we were looking for homes, one thing we noticed is that the new homes, they're missing something very important for us as a family. They're missing a place where you can eat together as a family. You know, they take away, um, they, they, they kind of have a smaller kitchen. There's not really a dining room area to put a table. But there is definitely a place to put a couch and a TV. Right? And it shows a shift with, even within our culture of the importance of gathering around a table to be together as a family. As a family, the table is where we come together to eat. It's where we have our conversations. It's where we pray. It's even where we open up our, our Bibles together and continue on in our family worship and look through that catechism stuff together as a family. Now granted, we don't do that every day, so we're not perfect. But it's a central location for all things our family wants to do and to be. It's when we put our devices away, when we turn the TV off. It's where we come and we talk, we laugh, we pray. We open open up our Bibles. And as we continue this series of looking at how we are disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ, we're going to be looking at community And not what I think what community is, and not what you think what the community is, but what the Bible says a community is. And how that is important to me, important to us. We're going to be looking at community and what the Bible, what the Bible says a Christian community ought to be. So last week we started looking at those three words. That will guide us as a church as we seek to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We sought to, to be a church that gathers together with a pulpit and with singing of songs. But we're, but we're also going to be taking a look at 
community as a church and how God has orchestrated and called us together and how community is important as a church and what it's all about and why we do it and what, why it matters. So in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, is the outcome of God calling people to himself. Did you see that? Peter gives this amazing sermon in this chapter and, he, and God uses that sermon, the word of God, to convict the people. And they, in turn, repent and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. But the immediate outcome of that is not just a bunch of random people walking around going, yeah, Jesus. They come together in a community. And in those things, we see something very important. The first thing that we see is that they're committed to learning biblical teaching together. In that first point, in verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were committed to learning biblical teaching together. That's the first mark of what a Christian community is. Notice it's not a potluck, right? As much as I love them. They're gathering together around the very word of God. But what is being taught here? You know, in this word, the apostles' teaching is talking about this formal and informal ways. It's not just preaching on a Sunday, but it's also gathering together in smaller groups, and they're opening the word of God together. But what is being taught is based on what Jesus has taught the apostles, and now the apostles are passing it along to the other people. It's not just some like random thing that they're pulling away. You know, in John 17, in, God, in Jesus' amazing priestly prayer, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then further on in verse 19, it says, and for their sake, I concentrate my, consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. It's an amazing priestly prayer. He prays that the church would be sanctified in the truth of God's word. But what is this truth that they're talking about? See, we look at Peter's sermon starting back in verse 14. It was teaching that were centered on two things. First, that Jesus is Christ. Jesus is God's promised Messiah. He is the seed who will crush Satan's head and deliver his people from the consequence of sin and death. The second thing is that Jesus is Lord and he is exalted to the God's right hand. You know, something that comes very evident amongst my generation are words like this. Sometimes I often hear this, is that, you know, there's no creed but the Bible. Or something like, there's no creed but Jesus. Which are really funny statements because those are creed statements. You've officially made a creed by saying that. But maybe you've even heard, you know, Christianity is about a person and not a doctrine. But how about this? Don't you think that those really set things up for a personal relationship with Jesus over against the truth about Jesus? How do you know who Jesus is? How do you know who you are worshiping? How do you know any of those things if you just say, it's just about all about Jesus and then throw out anything that has to do with learning about who Jesus is? 
The apostles' teaching is a lot more than just citing what the Bible says. There must be an understanding of what the truth is, and that is what the early church in Jerusalem did. They dedicated themselves day and night to the apostles' teaching and to knowing God, to knowing truth. And what does it look like to commit yourself to these things? We talked a little bit about it last week, about how the Bible guides us, about how God's word guides us, and that trickles down. See, they were committed together to the teachings of the apostle, to to what we have heard, what they have heard in the Bible. See, a church fellowship, a church community, is a community uh, where the Bible is loved, where, where it is read, where it is studied and obeyed. It reminds me of the Bereans in Acts 17. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. It says, They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures day, daily to see if, there are things, if these things were so. They searched the Bible daily. They loved the word of God. They let it seep deep inside. And, and even in their conversations with one another, that's what guided their conversations. I saw this great picture the other day about finding eternal wisdom. And it was a picture of a kid. It was a, it was a meme, if you know what those are. Um, and it was on Facebook. So it was a picture with some words. And, there's this, and on the top of it said, what happens when we look internally for wisdom? And it was a kid with his hand in the toilet swirling around right like we gotta be a people who who you can't keep looking inside the answer is not inside the answer is in the word of god and how god has revealed himself to us and here's the thing sometimes we come along and we think that words like doctrine and 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 theology are bad things There's no such thing as having too much truth. There isn't. You can misuse truth a lot. There's a lot of people who are in my camp who are right, but they're wrong all at the same time because of their attitudes stink. You know, there's not, you can misuse truth. You can fail to apply it the way that it should be, but you cannot have too much truth. We are a church that gathers in a community that is committed to teaching of the Bible. So will you pray with me that we would delight in the word of God? That we would, be, that we would hunger for the truth while being also satisfied with the truth, praying that we would be a Bible-saturated church, that our community would be devoted to the apostles' teaching just like we see here with the early church. Second thing is this. They were committed to fellowship with one another. You know, this word fellowship involves this close mutual relationship and involvement. You're not having fellowship because you meet in the fellowship hall. Okay? Uh, the church that I grew up in had a fellowship hall. You know, many churches have fellowship halls. Oh, we're going to have great fellowship today in... In the fellowship hall. That's not what is meant by this word. 
It got the context. You got to look at the context. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, God is faithful, but whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We share together in our communion, our common identity and relationship with Jesus. Even in 2 Corinthians, it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's what we mean by fellowship. Not potlucks. Don't worry, we'll get to that. We're talking about a deeper understanding of fellowship. One that revolves around the Bible and the Word of God. As the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the outcome of these things was that they had a deeper fellowship together. As they were united around the very Word of God in Acts 2, Luke gives us this amazing picture of what this Christ-centered, unified uh, uh, fellowship looks like in this community. You look at verses 44 to 45, and it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. In our Western context, we look at that as crazy talk. Do you see that word, though, common? It comes from the same word group as fellowship. What is happening in this early church is that the faith they shared in Jesus Christ, that we see them confessing in verse 38, that is what leads them uh, to share with one another. They are united and one of mind, as verse 46 says, as they met each day in the temple courts and gathered together to eat, eat in each other's homes because they shared the same faith. See, when we repent and believe the gospel, that Christ has died for our sins, that he rose again. A change begins to happen in our lives. A heart transplant happens that allows us to believe in these things. And with that heart transplant that happens, our desires begin to change. And instead of being separate, they are one mind. They are united together. You can't have this type of community outside of Jesus. You can't. This is why uh, Christian fellowship has to be far more than potlucks. It has to be. Because if it is, then we can go, I don't know, somewhere. There's a church down the street that has one every Wednesday. It's why, it, it, it's why we treat people differently. The one another's come, pl- come to play, and those one another's are a testimony to the outside world of what God has done. Like, where else in this world do you see people of different generations, different ethnicities, coming together to worship God? You don't. There has to be something that's deeper that unifies us together. Because if it doesn't, then we just start fighting all the time about how my music style is better than your music style, and we should sing this, and we should sing that. Right? I want pews. I don't want pews. It was out of this faith that they felt a responsibility towards one another. See, later on, we see how this even comes to play in Acts chapter 6 where they were sharing of the food with the widows who were in need. 
Where did this expression come from? These practical expressions of care for each other arose out of a common sense of identity. They were brothers and sisters. You were members of the same family and, were a, a, and that was a powerful witness to the people all around them that saw that they were distinctly different than everything else that was going around them. This is why we have benevolent offering. Did you know that? On Sunday, on Communion Sunday, we have benevolent offering. And its, and its roots are not founded in helping our community. The roots are founded in helping those within the family that are in need. And that's what we do. Yes, we help the people around us, but its roots, its roots are about helping the family. So as a Christian community that is in fellowship, that is rooted in the gospel, that is, a, that is centered on the gospel, is a community that will withstand the storms that will come. Right? If my only identity with you is that we like a music style, music style changes, folks. I realized the other day that the music that I grew up with listening to is now called classic rock. (laughs) I'm not old. What happened? Like, what's my parents' music called? Like, ancient rock? Like, (laughs) slow down. We have to be united on the gospel. It has to be centered. That's what our fellowship is based upon. That is what it means to be like-minded and one of mind. And it is a great witness to those around us. Sometimes we kind of jump the gun often and say, hey, we get, tr- we get people to, come, uh, to become part of the family uh, because we're afraid that, that, that they're going to be ostracized. But have we ever thought that Clear lines actually increase our witness to the outside world. And that's what's happening here. Look what Jesus is doing amongst those people. That's crazy. See, what difference does the death and resurrection of Jesus make here and now? The heart of the Christian faith is the firm confidence that Jesus died for our sins and was raised from the dead. This is not a message we believe just one time in order to be saved, but a foundational truth that impacts all that we do and all that we are. So at Knollwood, we need to ask that question constantly to ourselves. What difference does the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection make here and now? And quickly, this is not a primitive form of communism that we see here because the university students are all over their education being paid for by the state and all that stuff now. That's not what you see. Okay? Voluntarily they did it. They weren't forced to. So fellowship. When they were pooling all their property together, that was all voluntarily, but it only came from the sense of a spiritual unity. As soon as the flame began to burn just a little lower, the attempt to maintain the communal life would fall apart. Fellowship is talking about a lot more than cookies and potluck. It's talking about a unity that is found in a common gospel that we have experienced by the grace of God. Will you pray with me? That we would be, that we would have unity amid diversity. 
loving those with whom we have nothing in common but the gospel. That we would be united in and through the Trinity so that we might be united together as a church in love. And then we see this. They spent time together. Huh? Even taking part in communion, the Lord's table, we see this in verse 42. It wasn't just about spending time together. It was about being purposeful with that time. Opening God's word together. Yes, eating together. Because there's something that goes on in our brain when we bring out food and there's fellowship. I don't know what it is. I'm sure there's a science behind it. But suddenly people are laughing. People are getting together. A conversation begins to happen. But they spent time together with purpose. Reminding each other of God's grace as they took part in communion and praying together. So the next commitment is this. They are committed to praying together. You see that. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So there was something specific that they were doing. They were being purposeful in their prayers. The church was purposeful. Whenever they would spend time together committed to the apostles' teaching in fellowship and the breaking of the bread, they would also, com- Sorry. They would also commit to themselves pr- into prayer as well. See, the people weren't content to just talk with one another. They also talked with Jesus Christ. See, I read this, and I think this is crazy. Because I see 3,000 people coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Right? You see it right there. 3,000 souls were added. I see in, in 41, I see people in 42 being added to their number day by day. I look at church history and I see the great awakenings, both the first one and the second one. And I see God reviving hearts. I see the Reformation. I see the student missionary movement of the 1800s and, and God sending out hundreds of students to the ends of the world to, to declare the good news of Jesus Christ to people who desperately need it. And I ask myself, how in the world does this happen? How does this start? Yes, the people around them saw a marked difference. Oh, thank you, Francois. (laughs) That's Francois. (laughs) I see all these amazing things happening, and that's crazy, right? And I ask myself, how does this start? How does this happen? Yes, people around them saw a marked difference in the community, but the people prayed. Do you see that? You see that, right? They, they were praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And the thing that marks this is prayer. What is the thing that we can point to for these remarkable success of not only the church, early church, but all the other movements throughout church history? Is not a ministry. It's not a program. It's not some sort of music style. It's prayer. It's prayer. 
In a time when prayer meetings, I really struggled with prayer meetings, to be honest. I grew up in a time where we went to prayer meeting and it was not prayer meeting. It was another sermon and singing songs. There wasn't a lot of praying going on in prayer meeting. You know, I'm, but in a time where prayer meetings have been, uh, they're, they're far and few between, the importance of collective gathering prayer times, not necess- it doesn't have to be called a prayer meeting, but collective gathering prayer times cannot be overemphasized. It is needed. Hardly anything is more important as a sign of the church's health than its commitment to prayer. Have you attended such a meeting lately? When you got together for coffee with so-and-so in the pew beside you? Have you prayed? Have you gotten together with your brothers and sisters? And if you have, have you further promoted its vitality by the sound of your own heart just pouring out in supplication for your brother and for your sister on behalf of them? Praying together gives us a greater insight into the worth of Jesus Christ. Let our, let our prayers strengthen someone else's hope. And let their, their prayers strengthen ours. The other day I was praying with a brother friend of mine. His, his church, 11-year church plant, closed. And I'm like... You can hear it. You can hear the pain. I don't have anything to say to him. I don't have any words of wisdom. I don't have anything. I can pray. We can gather together and we can pray. You know, we have family. We have friends that are are sick with illnesses that we couldn't imagine are walking through. We we don't know because we don't haven't been through it. But we can pray. And not just that flippant, hey, I'll pray for you and then walk away thing. You can get on your knees, if you can, together and pray. And remind each other of the hope in Jesus Christ. We need to be committed to praying together. Because we know that the soul of any Christian rises and falls with secret prayer. But it is not good for us to only pray alone. We need to be an encouragement to one another. So what is that thing that you are longing for God to do? Do you long for souls to be saved and for people to be baptized? Do you long for this city, to, for God to, to, to revive the hearts of all of the people in the city? This city, folks, is a broken city. It desperately needs Jesus. Desperately. Do you long to have desires that reflect the desires of our awesome God? Are you struggling? Are you weak? Are you fill in the blank? Are you committed to God's word together as we submit ourselves to the will, to his will, and not our own? Are we being committed to fellowship with one another so that we can remind each other of the goodness of our God when we're really doubting that God is good? And be committed to praying with one another. 
Let's be more than a Christian cliche. So quickly, two things. They were also committed to each other. John Stott put it this way. He did not add them to the church without saving them. No nominal Christianity at the beginning. Nor did he save them without adding them to the church. No solitary Christianity either. You need to be in community. If you are a believer, if you call yourself a Christian, you have to be in community. Even if you're wondering if you're going to be around for a long time or not, even if you are a university student or a college student, you need to connect. You need to lock arms and you need to be part of the local church family. You have to. Just as much as there's no nominal Christianity, there's no solitary Christianity either. These are the things that we ought to be. These early Christians were different from the world and different from their fellow Jews in Jerusalem. They weren't concerned with seeking to blend in, but reflect the glory of Christ in their community. The second thing is this, and all, that we see earlier on in this, in verse 43. See, another way of translating this is the word fear. It's this awe, this wonder, this stunning reality of who God is and how that affects, have, have, have affected us as we gather together. What we talk about above really hangs on these words. It is a driving force that made those believers free from their possessions, eager to meet needs, full of gladness, generosity, praise, and prayer when they ate together day by day. Sometimes we reflect so much on the love of God, forgetting that we're also called to fear him, knowing that he is the God who disciplines us as well. Christians aren't supposed to be scared of God. We have no reason to be scared of him. We have his promise that nothing can separate us from his love. We have his promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Fearing God means we have such a reverence for him that it it has a great impact on the way we live our lives. The fear of God is respecting him, it's obeying him, and submitting to his discipline, and worshiping him in awe. So those are two quick things that come out from this passage. But so what? We should have a spirit of wonder and anticipation about what God may do in us and through us. We should love one another with a sincerity and simplicity that is seen right here in the early church. And we should desire to live our whole life for the sake of Christ no matter what the cost may be. Because we gather in community to be devoted to Christ's teaching and to love one another with a spirit of wonder and anticipation of what God will do in and through us. So when we talk about table, we aim to be a church in community. As God defines it, not what I think. Acts 2 
tells us that the original Christian community was really known for its commitment to Christ's teaching and to love for one another. And when we look at it this way, the Christian community is simply those who have committed to one another, who love Jesus and live in fellowship with one another. When the world sees us in action, they will see the true love of Jesus and perhaps find themselves attracted to him as well. It's in this text that we see a pattern of how the church ought to be, what ought to be our distinctives, what should set us apart. We gather in community to be devoted in Christ's teaching and to love one another with a spirit of wonder and anticipation of what God will do in and through them. Wouldn't it be amazing to hear little stories in the hallway of how people were meeting together and opening their Bible and simply asking one another, what is God teaching you about who he is today? That's great. Let's pray together about that. What are you struggling with today? You know, let's, let's pray. Let, let us see what God has to say about that. These aren't things that happen with ministry structures. These are things that happen as people are being sanctified by the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit. So let us be these things. And they take all sorts of different forms. It can be in a house, it can be in Tim Hortons, Starbucks. But let us gather in community to be devoted to Christ's teaching and to love one another with a spirit of wonder and anticipation of what God will do in and through us. Let me pray. Father God, let us continue to worship you as we open up your word together, as we uh, seen what it means to be a community. Lord, I pray that you are indeed glorified and honored. Lord, may we be a community that seeks to be people who devote themselves to your word, who devotes themselves to each other, and devotes ourselves to prayer. And Lord, let us wait in anticipation of what you will do in and through us as we do those things in community. And amen.